Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. Are you traveling this summer? Are you traveling on business or for fun? Well, I think we have some interesting information for you. We're going to talk about airlines, who treats you the nicest, who's got the best on-time record, a lot of things that are really important to travelers these days. And my guest today is Jill Gonzalez. She is a senior analyst with WalletHub. And Jill, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Thanks for having me. Now, this is a very interesting study that you've just come out with about airlines and um, what they're doing. And we've read some horror stories about some of the things that have happened on airlines. But let's look at the positive first. Let's start talking about some of the airlines that really are providing service to their consumers. And I think uh, in looking at these airlines, tell us what some of the things that you considered. Well, we looked at many different metrics this year. We looked at the nine largest airlines plus two regional carriers across 14 metrics. So that ranges from cancellation and delay rates to baggage mishaps to in-flight comfort. Uh, we also considered costs in relation to in-flight amenities, just you know, to be fair. So you know, it wouldn't be right to penalize an airline that charges for drinks if its tickets are far cheaper, you know, stuff like that. Right. Okay, so a lot of parameters to look at. And let's talk about what uh, you found out. Interesting here. Um, the best overall airlines. And I believe that you all said that overall Delta Airlines was doing the best job, followed by Spirit Airlines. But they're far from perfect. Um, they certainly didn't score 100 on your rating. That's right. So out of a score of 100, Delta scored 66.79 spirit was 66.57 so a very small difference between the two but definitely a large way from 100. oh yeah i looked at that and i thought hmm i'm not sure that's a record i'd be proud of however uh at least they have something to brag about they beat everybody else so uh, I don't know what that says about the, the airlines. So uh, how can airlines improve their services? What are, what are the complaints that we hear? I mean, I've heard about baggage handling, on time, canceled flights, uh, passengers being rowdy on the airlines, all kinds of things that make your flight a lot less uh, pleasant and sometimes even less safe. Um, so what, what can airlines do to improve this big gap? I mean, what are you all, what would you recommend that they do? I mean, they're going to hire more pilots, more people, better training. What, where do you start? Well, when we're looking at delays and flight cancellations, a lot of that, I mean, obviously some of that is due to weather, you know, which you cannot control, but a lot of it now is due to labor shortages within you know, most airlines. So everything from pilots to flight crews, flight attendants, there's still a little bit of a shortage that, you know, happened during the pandemic when flying was at an all-time low. They haven't really gotten the manpower back yet. So it's hard to say, you know, just hire more pilots when there simply are not as many pilots to be hired right now. So I do think cancellations and delays are, you know, somewhat a result of that. But a lot of other complaints or everything from, you know, Wi-Fi availability, which, you know, is a quick fix, uh, to entertainment options, leg room, you know, some things much more fixable and doable than others. 
Well, I know legroom has always been a big issue with our family. I'm a very tall son. My husband and I are both tall. And boy, I'll tell you, some of the airlines, you can't even breathe when you get in the seat. Um, so are they moving? I gather uh, you had one, what was it? JetBlue has the best uh, seating arrangements and you can get the most legroom. I think they had a lot of choices. Is that true? Yes. JetBlue would be the most comfortable airline. There is more legroom. There's good Wi-Fi availability, good options in terms of entertainment. There's complimentary refreshments and snacks. So JetBlue wins out for comfort. Yeah, well, good for them. At least uh, we got something. And they're pretty, they're a good airline as well. Um, they seem to have had a good reputation with consumers. Okay, so we've got Delta Airlines up there with a score that's nothing to brag about. But I do think your point about pilots and maybe they need to offer them higher salaries. Maybe they need to do some more aggressive recruiting. Um, I don't know what the answer is there because I'm not an expert in that industry. But it seems to me like uh, they need maybe perhaps to be more active and proactive in getting people on board and training them and getting pilots. So I don't know. I, I, but, you know, Jill, part of the problem we're having across the board and things is the supply chain and workers lack of worker i mean i know that that's affecting a lot of us in many other uh, ways other than just airlines well let's talk about one of the things of course once once we get away from the best overall and delta being the the most reliable um safety what what are the things that you all looked at in terms of safety in terms of safety, we looked at everything from the number of fatal injuries uh, going back to 2017. So injuries, the number of aviation incidents and accidents, uh, the average fleet age as well. You know, some of these planes can be anywhere from, you know, under 10 years, which would be ideal, to exceeding 15 years, which is not ideal. Uh, so, you know, we looked at all four of those different things. Okay, can a per, can a consumer find out how old the airplane is when they're getting ready to fly? They can, yeah. So you have to look up your flight number, and then that will include information on the plane. I don't so, know if it's a good idea to do it before you fly, uh, <laughs> but you may know, not be possible. Is, yeah, that is something um, you know you don't really have control over it, but that is something that you can find out. Uh, I, I, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. Of course, the age of the planes, have they got a new fleet or, or, or whatnot? So, uh, yeah, but also maintenance is so important again there, whether or not they've got adequate staff to keep the performance and the maintenance of this, these airlines. Um, but Envoy Air is the safest and they have fewer incidents and fewer accidents. And, um, they have, as you all stated, a fairly new fleet of aircraft. So, and then the safety runner-up was Spirit Airlines. So anyway, good for them. They're looking out for us. One of the other things that I know now that we're, we're seeing is a lot of people have animals that are their, their um, what, what do you call it? <laughs> they're their safety animal. They're, uh, they're, there's a word for it, and I can't even remember it right now. But people want to travel with their pets. Is the policy the same as it's always been? You have to put it in a cage and put it under your seat. What about the people who say that their animal, their pet is a uh, a safety issue for them? 
Yeah, so support animals, I think, is what you're thinking. That's it. Thinking Thank of. you. Thank you. Let me, uh, let's just, before you give me an answer to that, let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Jill Gonzalez. She is a senior analyst with Wallet Hub. And we're going to, we're talking about right now airlines, their safety records, performance, et cetera. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about the cities where it is easiest and best to starting a small business. And they have a lot of things going for them. Some interesting answers there too, Jill. I was very interested in that. But at any rate, going, going back to the animals, the pets, what, what are the policies now? As far as pets, I mean, the policies were not what they once were. They're not as stringent. Uh, it depends what airline you're flying as well. Some will let you, you know, if you do have a small uh, pet, that some will let you just put it on your lap. Others, it has to remain in uh, its carrier the whole time. Uh, but this is becoming a more and more of a concern. Last year, seven animals died during air trans- transportation. So there are certainly concerns here. There was a tie between the best airline for pets, between Delta, SkyWest, and Alaska. And when we're looking into animal-related incidents, we look at the number of incidents that there were, if any animals died or were injured or got lost, which is also an issue. Um, So that's what we're looking. And we also... You know, there are some airlines that simply do not transport pets. Uh, Frontier, JetBlue, Southwest included in them. Not everybody wants to be on a flight with a dog. And some people are allergic to dog dander. And so consequently, I can understand how people may want to search out an airline that doesn't permit pets in the passenger cabin. Um, so I guess you have to do some research on that. If you have a support animal and you need that, you may need to make sure that the airline is accepting. And I would think that's something you should ask right away when you're getting ready to book. Exactly. So for the reasons that you said, we didn't score the six airlines that don't transport pets. They weren't penalized because, mm-hmm. as you said, you know, for some people, that could be a plus. Yeah, exactly. So it may not be a negative and you just you just don't know it depends on the person and and their obvious their preference okay well so overall the airlines are doing a fairly decent job they need new and more employees um the other complaint is congestion at the check-in counter i mean the lines can be so long and i guess the only answer that is to hire more agents to work the lines Exactly. So they're seeing the same type of staff shortages, you know, really across the industry and mm-hmm. check-in is included. I think they've tried to make it a little bit easier with, uh, you know, options to do so before you get there or, or a lot of kiosks that don't need to be manned. But yeah, as, as you said, there are certainly shortages there as well. Well, um, it, it seems to me like there there's, I guess there's just going to have to be stuff that's done but one of the things that was interesting in your report, your your study, um, is the ticket prices. Ticket prices have gone about gone up about twenty five percent, and of course our outpa- outpacing inflation, which is a little bit disturbing. Um, so consequently, we've really got to shop around, find out the best bargains and how to get there the, the best and safest way. So it overall, um, I guess consumers have to do a little bit more work. Um, 
any any hints on finding the best tickets? Best ticket prices, Jill? Well, finding the most affordable airfare is now pretty easy. You know, you just need an internet connection. You can really compare. So that's why for this report, we didn't want to just look at costs. We wanted to look at all of those other factors that fly under the radar. But if you're, you know, just looking for the cheapest price, it's pretty easy to do now. You know, if you're going on Expedia or Google flights, Mm -hmm. any party. Yeah. And I guess that's what we have to do because, you know, inflation is keeps going up, um, having increased inflation. And then of course, everything else is going up. And that means that a value of our incomes, which unfortunately aren't always increasing at the pace of inflation. We got to do a little bit of work there. Okay, this is a great report, Jill, and people can go to wallethub.com and see the report and find out for themselves how you all took a look at these airlines. Yes, wallethub.com or the app. Okay, or the app. Okay, great. Now, let's turn to to another study that you all did that I thought was just really very interesting. And and that one was the best small cities to start a business. And, you know, I would have thought, okay, if you're going to start a business, don't you really want to go to a big city? But maybe not. Maybe the competition there is a problem. Maybe there's safety issues in some of our larger cities and just the expense of starting something in a big city. And surprisingly enough, um, one of the things that got my eye was that Bozeman, Montana has the highest number of startup businesses per resident, 100,000. That's amazing. And that is a lovely town, by the way. I've been there. So I can understand why people are doing that. But but other than that, uh, the top cities seem to be, a lot of them are in the uh, West and in the South. And that's a very interesting thing. We don't see the East Coast here. I guess we've priced ourselves out of startup businesses. But Washington, Utah, and St. George, Utah, and Cedar City, Utah, were the three top small cities, all of them in Utah, and uh, and then Bo- followed by Bozeman. Then another city, Logan, in Utah. Comment on why these states are so favorable to startups. Is it taxes? Is it accessibility? Is it the cost of living? I mean, what are the what are some of the things that uh, gave them this high rating? It's really all three of those things. So we looked at access to resources. We looked at business costs and the overall business environment. As far as the business environment, you know, these kind of mountain areas did really well during the pandemic. They saw population growth. A lot of people were moving from cities to move there permanently or at least get, you know, maybe a second home there. So the demand really increased there, which means means that the supply had to increase as well. So there that's why, you know, in places like Bozeman and St. George, we saw such a growth in startups and they're thriving there, which is hard to do. I mean, part of the reason why we put this report together is because even under normal conditions, you know, not including things like pandemic and inflation, 20% of new businesses fail within the first two years, yeah. 50% during the first five. And that's, you know, not happening in these places. It's really interesting, too. I think Utah had uh, five, six, seven, eight cities in the top 20. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I, 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 kept, I kept looking at this and saying, is that a typo? And then, no, it isn't. Um, and the only, the only uh, 
uh, city that's anywhere close to us or on the East Coast is Morrisville, North Carolina, which is kind of interesting. But Colorado's in there. Florida is a big startup place. Also, some of the smaller places in Florida. I guess that has partly to do with the fact that there are a lot of, not, not just to businesses, but a lot of consumers are moving to Florida. So all of those things go into making it that, that way. Let me, let's take a brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Jill Gonzalez. She's a senior analyst with Wallet Hub. And we've been discussing the airlines and which is the best one for you to try to take to plan your vacation and why. And then we're now talking about the cities and they're, most, they're all small cities. Which ones are the best startups for a small business? And there's, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are looking for places to start a business. Now, were there, was there any kind of particular thing like, you know, I think about Utah as being a state that has a lot of sports, a lot of outdoor activities. Is there any correlation, or maybe you don't even cover this in your, your study, but is there any correlation between uh, those things and the types of businesses that are starting there or is, are there businesses just across the board? So we don't break it down by business type uh, here, but you know, out West, yeah, there's definitely a lot more recreational opportunities for people starting their businesses, whether it's supplying people with camping supplies or whether it's, you know, actually taking people out and ATVing or, you know, things like that. There are those recreational activities that help these numbers. Okay. And so, you know, if you're like that kind of business too, and that's, that would be a great place to locate because there's the beautiful country out there. Um, we, I love Utah. It's a marvelous state, but I love Florida. I, I love all of our country states. What can I say? Uh, but there are some things that factor into this, of course, such as uh, the office space and the labor costs and all of these things. Now, you took into account all of these kinds of uh, issues when you were looking at these cities and you gave them a, a, a weight, I gather. So, um, how would you tell a consumer who wants to start a business, they want to move, they're living in a big city, they're tired of it, they want to go somewhere else. So there's some important things to look for. And I guess those are the, some of the things, but what are the, the, how much does the cost of living have to do with where you start a business? Well, it has, you, oh, yeah, a lot to do with it. I mean, that is kind of factored into these business costs cost of living is going to influence office space, affordability, labor costs that you have to pay, you know, your workers. Uh, so I would say it definitely hugely affects the business and the cost kind of going into it. Yeah. So you've got to take all of these. And now a consumer can go where to the small business administration, or where do you go to determine what the cost of living is in a, a city before you want to move there and start your own business. There's gotta be statistics compiled on this. Where, where did you go to find out what the cost of living is? Can you tell us that? So there is an actual cost of living index. Uh, so you can you know, see it when you're looking at the census, when you're looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, you can see it a, a few different places. Uh, but yeah, there's a cost of living index and you can go there and see exactly what it is, how much it's changed over the, few years too is if you want to see mm -hmm. you know, if that's something that's been going up yeah right exactly so that would be a, a vital vital factor in there um 
but now I guess one of the things you have to make sure that if you're going to go to a small city is that you're not starting the same business that there are six others down the street from you, um, assuming that you're a, a storefront location. That would be a critical factor, I would think. And whether or not the people in that area are going to be the kind of people who are interested in what you want to start up. If you're going to a senior community, and no, and this is not a, a knock on seniors, but, but let's face it, you may not want skateboarding park to start up in their community. So it would be an appropriateness of the business uh, related to, I would think, the community that you want to serve. Exactly. You want to make sure that you're doing your research before you're, you know, even thinking about starting a business in a certain small city. You know, the, the same business in Washington, Utah probably won't do as well in South Bradenton, Florida. Uh, mm -hmm. They're both great places to start a business, but the businesses would be very different. Different, different. Right. We got the beach and the sand and the surfing and everything else in Florida. So there's a big difference. Yeah, and I guess we have to take into consideration all those factors if you're looking to start a business, small business and doing a really, one of the things that I've talked to business experts and they say the most important thing is the research that you do before, well before you even start to thinking about applying for a license to do business and all of those things. So interesting study, Joe, you all are doing some interesting things there. Um, and I like this. I, I'm, we're very much at corporation. We're very supportive of our small businesses. They're very important to our economy. And we're just delighted to see these cities and how they're growing and what's happening to them in terms of uh, bringing in new population and bringing in new businesses. And that's really vital for everybody. Any last thoughts? We've got a couple of minutes. Yeah, in terms of, you know, starting a business now, I think a lot of people are concerned with inflation. The good news about inflation is that there is an end in sight. Uh, the Federal Reserve has been pretty aggressively raising interest rates, which means that if you do have credit cards with balances on them, you're paying a little bit, bit more there. But because of that, it's been slowly decreasing inflation. So I think by the end of this year, it won't be as much of a concern for anyone, let alone small business owners. Mm -hmm. That's a good news. Good word there. Uh, any other thoughts? Don't hesitate. Do your research. Do, and that's the big thing, isn't it? The research. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do your research. Again, as we said, 20% of new businesses fail in the first couple of years. 50% in the first five years. So those are daunting numbers, but the better your research are, the better prepared you are. Hopefully you can be one of the 50% that succeed. All those, yeah, somebody's got to succeed because we have a lot of small businesses that have been in business for years and years and years. So we applaud them and, and uh, are delighted to see these cities and the smaller cities to take a look at a smaller city and see if that doesn't meet your needs too. So some of them are delightful. Anyway, Jill, thank you again. It's always interesting. Um, I, looking at airlines, I hope we've helped travelers make some choices, at least give them some things to think about and shop around for prices. And the same way that you would shop around for information if you're planning on locating a small business in a community that where you do not live right now, but you want to move and more power to you. Thank you again. My guest today has been Jill Gonzalez, who is a, a senior analyst with Wallet Hub. We thank you, Jill, for being here. And I'm Shirley Rooker. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. You can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org.
Thank you. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. <laughs>